Well, it is great to see all of you today, and I do welcome you. I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and whether you're part of our church family or visiting today, we are thankful that you're here. It's been a tough week, hasn't it, uh, in the life of our country, in the life of all of us, I would say. I would think that all of us come in uh, with a mixture of emotions and um, just a heart of brokenness and a desire for healing. And uh, today, we're going to be in the book of Luke. And it's interesting, we've been in the middle of this summer series, 10 life-changing questions that Jesus asked. And we've been looking at the fact that Jesus um, often, actually more often than he answers questions, he asks questions and he does it in a way to lead us right to him in order that we might see our hearts. I mean, really, Jesus and his questions, he gets after our hearts and he helps us to see how much we need him. And he invites us to come to him to receive the grace and help that we do need. But we've been looking at these questions, and today, you see it on the screen? Interesting, um, I didn't plan, I mean, this, this sermon series was planned before the events of this past week, and this topic for this Sunday was planned before anything that happened. But today, the question that we're going to be looking at, I really believe is fitting um, I was wrestling with this week, do we, we take a pause and, and just do something different today in light of the things that have happened? Because I really believe that we need perspective, we need a prayer, and we need unity as God's church. But looking at kind of where we're going, I, don't, I think this is the right place for us to be. And at the end of the message today, just so you know where we're going, we are going to have a time of prayer together as a church um, and we are going to take communion together as a church, which is one of the, the, the greatest blessings and signs of our unity together in Christ. All of us coming to take of one body broken for us and Christ's blood shed for us. And so we are going to be, um, you know, spending time together in prayer and in unity. But the time together in, in God's word, I believe, is important. This morning, where we already had planned to be. Luke chapter 13, if you have your Bible. Here's, here's what's going on today with the question. You know, one of the greatest things that people often wrestle with in life. Um, it, it's a common question that I get asked as a pastor. Especially people who are trying to figure out relationship with God. People who are not yet um, surrendered to God and are, are just really genuinely seeking. There are a lot of people, even some of you here in this room, I know that some of you are here and you're, you're kind of, a, you're seeking. You don't know yet what this is all about and you may be wondering what it's all about and trying to figure out God and life with God and all of that. But a very common question, in fact, it's one of the number one questions according to some national surveys that have taken place. There have been many books written about it. It relates to the problem of suffering. Relates to the issue of inequities. In life, in our community, inequities in our state, inequities in our country, inequities across our world. It's, it's reality that this is an issue that, well, it's really perplexing, first of all. It's complicated, it's messy, it's not so black and white. And we, if you, second of all, I really think you can admit, like we all wrestle with it. We all wrestle with it. And if you say today you've got the perfect answer for it and you can just stand up here and lecture everybody on just solving all of this, then I'd think about giving you the mic. <laughs> but 
it's, a, it's perplexed and it's something we all wrestle with. And Jesus doesn't shy away from engaging this question. He doesn't shy away from pushing deeper into our hearts as we engage with this question. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 13, like I just said. And if you've got your Bible, I do encourage you to open it up. Um, I don't really have a clear outline for you today. I do hope that you're one who doesn't just uh, hear the word, but really desires to receive the word and to live in light of the word. So I do hope that in some way that you could take notes or um, just really engage in a way that it would allow you to really, to really um, move deeper into your own relationship with God today. Um, Let me read the encounter and we're going to talk back through it. Starting in verse 1, this is in the context of Jesus' life and ministry. He had finished his ministry in Galilee at this point. He's moving toward Jerusalem where we know he will lay down his life for you and me, for the world, all who would believe. But here he is in the context of his ministry and we encounter this scene. It says, There were some present. At that very time, who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices? And he answered them Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. Or those 18 on on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, uh, do you think that those were worse defenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So we have it that you can almost imagine the context of this, okay? We have it that Jesus in his ministry, Pilate we know was a ruler 26 to 36 AD, somewhere in there. He is a harsh ruler. He is a greedy ruler. He is a suspicious ruler. He is a cruel Ruler, We know that the Jewish people feared him because he had a tendency to isolate groups of people and exact justice in really unjust ways. Um, and we have an incident here where obviously something has happened. I mean, if you just look at verse 1, it says a bunch of people hanging out. They're all present at the very time um, who come to Jesus and tell him about something that happened. There in Jerusalem. Galileans, blood, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, it says. So in other words, what's happened is you've got a group of Galileans. It's like, imagine like a group of northerners in the U.S. coming down to the south, okay? They're not really in Jerusalem, but a group of Galileans, northerners kind of in the area had come down to, to Jerusalem. 
And they had come down in order that they, may, they worship, okay? And they're making sacrifices. So you've got sheep and doves and, and pigeons, stuff like that. And they're making sacrifices. And in the midst of their worship, Pilate was known to kind of sneak sometimes like covert people into places where he thought rebellious activity could occur against him in order to control the people. So it could have been, I don't know exactly the circumstances. We don't really know a lot about it because it's the only time this incident is recorded in the scripture. But obviously something has happened. It could be that some soldiers had dressed in clothes, covertly gone in, and suddenly in the midst of their worship, they get the go-ahead, the green light, to take daggers and stab, cut off their heads. I don't know what they did, but they killed, they began to kill these Galileans, okay, during their worship service. And not only that, but they mixed their blood with their worship sacrifices. It would be the idea of somebody coming in here today, God forbid it, and slaughtering us because of our worship, and then taking our blood and mixing it in the communion cups. I mean, it's that, it's that awful. And you can, you can almost imagine the, the context. You can imagine the scene. Um, so what's happened is now Jesus is around these Jewish people and he's saying, he's, he walks up into the scene where everybody's talking about this crazy slaughter that has just happened. Sound familiar? Everybody's logged into Facebook checking their Twitter feeds, everybody at the workplace, everybody in their family, everybody on text messages, everybody on phone calls, talking about these incidents that have just happened in the community in this past period of time. And it doesn't take much to imagine, uh, gosh, you know, the kind of conversation that happens around tragedy. And if you are like me, sometimes that conversation can, you can be involved in it, and sometimes the conversation, you can look at it and just be disturbed by it. Um, and it doesn't just happen with things like we experienced this past week. This is a 2,000-year-old issue. These kind of conversations happen frequently, and I'm not trying to make light of what's happening now, but it's not new. And you see it around things like shootings, you see it around things like crashes or people who die of diseases or what, we, what views we have of those who are in war-torn areas and the things that are happening to them, things that happen worldwide. And human tendencies kick in and people are trying, I really believe, I, I, give, I give, I'm a human, you're a human. You, you, you give other people some credit and you really think, okay, people are just trying to make sense of stuff, right? <laughs> like people are trying, they're genuinely trying to make sense of it. They're trying to figure out the why behind the what that happened. But obviously, if you look at Jesus' first question here in, in verse two, the implication of his question implies that what the people are talking about is what? What's the conclusion they've come to? <laughs> what, how are they trying to make sense of it? They must have done something horrible before God to deserve that. Can you believe those Galileans? Gosh. They must have been asking for it. 
there must have been something that happened there that we didn't see that caused them to deserve that. God must be punishing them. It tends to be that we jump to conclusions that if people have some kind of setback or some kind of sickness or some kind of struggle, that a common line of thinking would be that somehow, 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 there must have been something going on in that person's heart or in that person's life or in that group that would cause them to deserve what they got. I get this question too when you go to the, like, if you go to the bedside of people who are really suffering, if you go into a crisis as a pastor, or you, you guys, many of you have been into areas of crisis and you've served and you help people in need at time of great distress. What's one of the common questions people ask? Why is this happening to me, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? You might have even asked those questions in the midst of someone that you know and their tragedy and their distress. You might have even asked some of those questions this week. Why would God have allowed this? What, what's happening? And I just ask you, um, you know, Jesus in his question is basically challenging you to consider what is your theology of sin and suffering? I mean, really? What about you? What, what do you think? So when, when these kinds of things happen, what forms your view of how to make sense of it? It's, I think all of us would be prone to give the real spiritual answers, but I wonder if maybe like how we actually talk and the things that you post on Facebook and the conversations that you have, what do those things really reveal about how you view sin and suffering? Um, I think a lot of people equate um, tragedy and suffering to guilt in some way. I think our faulty way of thinking is are often, um, they often creep in and affect how we view people, those, those people who are less fortunate economically, socially, educationally than us. When you pass uh, someone who is asking for money, a panhandler on the street, what's your reaction? What goes on in your heart? What implications do you automatically assign our characteristics, character traits. When you see herds of migrant workers standing out by the side of the street just waiting for somebody to pick them up for an honest day's work. Do you group them into a category? Do you, do you think that's what they get? When you hear about devastating fire that burned down someone's house who didn't have smoke detectors. Mm-hmm. 
She's been asking for them. Not having responsibility, taking care of kids. When we hear about war-torn areas in the Middle East, oh gosh, I could, this list could go long and I better not make it go long because all you need to do is get the picture, but we need to deal with some of these realities. I'm not stupid or ignorant. I know what people in even my camps, quote-unquote, think about some of these things, how they get written off, how we just turn a blind eye, how we somehow think, how we somehow think that like the thousands of refugees fleeing their countries should just be able to be okay living under tarps in camps of thousands where they're suffering and dying from all kinds of crap. What's your, what forms your thinking about these things? When a person dies of AIDS, when a person is shot in the middle of a street, in the middle of a troubled, historically violent neighborhood, are there automatic conclusions that come? We, 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 we can learn our perspective, our theology of sin and suffering by the way that we answer Jesus' questions, see? He's trying to get at, what do you really think? Like when you encounter these kinds of things, are you, what do you think? Do you really think that these people have suffered in this way? Because of something they've done? We tend to think that if people suffer like that, these kinds of things, they must have done something wrong, something illegal, something immoral to deserve their fate. If they were good, if they were just good, if they had just done the right thing, this would not have happened, right? It's natural. Guys, it's natural. It's so natural to want an explanation, right? It's natural. We, we love Anybody love organizing? You love things. Don't you love your answers to be a nice, clean little box where you can just say, here's the reason. That's why everybody else is stupid because they haven't figured it out. Of course I know. We want these nice little clean answers and categories, but it's just hard. It's hard. It's natural to seek out why with the unknowable, but it's It's tough. And you may find it more comfortable that people deserve their fate. You may find it more comfortable to think that somehow if you are good, if you're just good, that you can somehow avoid suffering and hurt. Somehow we can immunize ourselves from these kinds of things. Somehow we can protect ourselves from a future of sorrow. Jesus question here in verse 2. It's um, kind of provocative and haunting, isn't it? (laughs) Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? You really think that? (laughs) Really? You really think that about them? 
What does that say about you? What does that say about God? What does that say about your, your heart? Jesus basically, he calls them out. <laughs> and he's going, um, no. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Take that down off Facebook right now. Please. Stop it. Really? Really? No. No. He corrects them and he corrects us. Verse 3, he says, no. No, I tell you. But unless you repent, unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. There's two main things happening here. One is Jesus is first saying that he repudiates this idea that bad things only happen to bad people. And the related one, which is good things only happen to good people. <laughs> He's saying, okay, that's wrong. That's wrong thinking. Okay, you think like that? Wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> bad things do not only happen to bad people, nor do good things only happen to good people. He's saying, basically, life is it's not always fair, is it? Now, he is not undermining the moral law, the natural law of sowing and reaping. The Bible clearly teaches that you reap what you sow. That which you sow, you will reap. Okay? And some of you need to hear this because if, if somebody gets killed by a drunk driver, okay, they're... You can trace drunk driving to immoral drinking, drinking beyond the limit which you should be drinking and getting in a car like a stupid person and then going out and putting everybody else's lives in danger. That is a moral issue. That is a reaping and sowing issue. And you can make judgments about things like that. There are principles in play that God gives us that if you do right things, typically with you, there will be right outcomes if you give and if you're honest and you're integrous and if you work hard and you're a steward over a period of time, those things begin working themselves out and, and people begin to increase. That begin, that is, that's natural and that's normal. But here we're talking about like tragedy. And there are at times, many times, sorrows, catastrophes, tragedies that happen Seemingly by random chance or by natural things that happen in this world or the wrong decision of other people that intersect our lives, you become powerless to stop them. And what Jesus is saying here is when those kinds of inequities occur, occur, do not pass judgment. (laughs) There's not always this clear black and white relationship such that you can say, Bad things 
only happen to bad people or good things only happen to good people such that God's sitting in heaven somehow and, and if you're good one day, he's assigning extra strokes to you. If you're bad one day, he's just coming after you. Like it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't always work that way. <laughs> so Jesus is saying, first of all, stop that kind of thinking. Second of all, he's saying this. These people are not worse than you are. No, I tell you. No, I tell you. Stop that way of thinking. It doesn't work that way. Bad to bad, good to good. It doesn't always work that way. Stop that. Secondly, see this, that unless you all likewise repent, unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. In other words, stop looking at the people who are suffering and thinking that you're any better or different than them. They're not worse than you and you are not better than them. Hello? (laughs) These people who suffer are not worse than you. Because you see, I mean, you can imagine Jesus sitting there having this conversation with them. If, if you don't have a change of heart in yourself, the fundamental issue I want to bring it to with this problem is a person, and that person is you. I'm talking to you now, Jesus is saying, unless you repent and have a change of heart, the same end is deserved for you. And I think this is part of why Jesus brings up the second question about suffering to these, this group of people. Because it wasn't them that, I don't think it was them that brings up what he talks about in verse 4. He brings up a second tragedy. He says, or, okay then, the 18 that died on the Tower of Siloam, when it fell, and they all were killed, were they worse offenders than the others who were in Jerusalem? Why would Jesus bring that up? (laughs) Because isn't it easy to look outside of your own little camp, outside of your own little community, outside of people who you think are like you and as deserving of good as you are, and point the finger and say, must have been something they did when tragedy strikes with the other community, the other camp, the people who are not like you. Isn't that easy? Must have been something they did. Jesus says, really? Because do you remember in your own community right here in Jerusalem? Recently, there was a tower being built over there in Siloam, right outside the city walls. Tower, an aqueduct, right? And a tragedy happened with that. This is your own people now. And 18 of them died. Do you make the same judgment about them that you make about the Galileans? Do you also think that they were worse than the others, that they're more deserving? Somehow they got this because of something they did? Look at yourself in the mirror. What are you saying and what implications does this have? Where does this go? Where does it stop in your heart? (laughs) No, not with them either. Not with your own, not with outside of your own. No, I tell you, no, it has nothing to do with their goodness or their badness. Because if you, 
haven't looked at yourself lately or done an introspective survey of yourself, you're bad too. Unless you repent, unless you change, unless you turn from sin and turn back toward God with full yieldedness and surrender toward him that he might remake you from the inside out into the man or woman he desires you to be, unless you do that, you are going to perish. Your end is going to be as bad as those that you're talking about with judgment. They're not worse. You're not better. Their sin was not extraordinarily horrible. It was ordinarily horrible, just like your sin. Hello? What these have done is not something extraordinary as if they're worse sinners than you. You are just as bad as them. We are all in the same boat. We're all extremely sinful. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous. No, not even one. We are all broken. We are all broken. We are all needy. We're all sinful. We all need grace. We all need grace. What should amaze us? What should amaze us in this world is not that, and again, I'm trying so hard not to make light of the things that have happened, but trying to bring a gospel focus of perspective that I believe that you and I need before we're foolish in the eyes of God and in the eyes of others who look inside the church to wonder what it is that's in our heart and in our life and in the way that we live. We need the perspective. What should amaze us? Is that anyone would have opportunity for grace and new life. What should amaze us is not Suffering and tragedy, but an opportunity for grace and healing and hope. That anyone would be spared. What should amaze us is a verse like Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What Jesus is teaching with the same words of 2 Peter 3, 9. He's saying, don't think that they are worse and that you're better. You're all in equal boat. There's something to be amazed at. Be amazed at this. That there's an opportunity for repentance and there's an opportunity for grace. And you work on that. You work on that in your heart and you work on that in your family and you work on that in your community and you work on that in your nation and you work on that to the ends of the earth proclaiming that we have a God who though 
we could all perish, has chosen in his great love for us to be patient, patient and not willing and desirous that any of us would perish like this, but that all of us would come to a place of repentance and have a restoration of life. Let's work on being amazed by God's awesome grace toward undeserving sinners like you and me. Amen? Let's let that saturate our heart. In moments of tragedy, let's go to him. Let's go to his grace. Let's be filled with a wonder and amazement, a a deep brokenness and awe that, God, I could have been there. That could have been me. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your grace for me. Thank you for your grace that's available for all who believe. Jesus. He doesn't really give us an explanation of why these things happen, but he gives us an explanation of why they do not happen. Right? And sometimes that can be just as helpful. The best answer that Jesus gives is the fact that he's here right now at this moment talking to these people. (laughs) That God himself uniquely, fully human amidst brokenness and suffering. That God himself here in the flesh given over that we could go to him And he understands despair. He knows loneliness. He experiences poverty. He knows bereavement and loss. He knows torture. He knows imprisonment. He knows suffering. And the amazing thing is in the next time we hear about Pilate spilling blood in the gospel of Luke, it's Pilate spilling the blood of Jesus, the son of God, who knew no sin, who didn't deserve to perish, who was there on the cross giving his life to identify with all of us who are suffering, to take on that suffering in himself and to go to the cross with it. That suffering and brokenness and despair and hurt and loneliness and all the sorrows and heartaches of this world, he might understand, he might identify with, and he might put to an end that there may be forgiveness, forgiveness, healing, and involvement for wounds. There may be life from death. And every tear might be wiped away from every eye, that this chaos would not continue. From the cross, it's his own blood, his own blood poured out. So we may not know why suffering, but we know why it's not. It's not because God does not love us. It's not because he stands far from us. It's not because he's indifferent to our sorrows or our hurts. It's not because he's not willing or able to right wrongs. He loves us, friends. He loves. He loves you and he loves all, including those that you may write off. he does more than that, doesn't he? He does more than just identify. He does more than just console. But three days later, he rises from the dead. We look not only to the cross of Jesus, but we also look to the resurrection of Jesus. 
He lives today. It's funny how people in the midst of suffering often cry out for justice. They want their wrongs righted, don't they? People who have experienced injustice and suffering, they also often want to redeem it. They want it to be used for some kind of good. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that he not only goes to the cross, but he rises again. And he lives today. And he says, I am coming again. And when I come, I will make all things new. And the future that he promises is not immaterial, but there is a picture of heaven coming down to earth and a purging, a cleansing, a righting of all wrongs, a a time when the worst of worst that's happened in this world will be redeemed and things will be even better than they were before. And it will be real. A day of newness, restoration, complete redemption. A day when sorrows Mourning will be turned into joy and dancing. As you look at Jesus, you get an answer. Maybe not all the answers for why, but definitely answers for what it's not. Even in the midst of suffering, we have a God who loves. We have a God who's gracious. Jesus is helping us in this text get a right view of suffering ours and others. He's trying to form our hearts and our minds, our way of life around the things that are actually true of him and of us and the world that he's created. And I just wonder where you are with it. It's been a tough week and I don't intend to stand here with answers and lectures about all that's happened this particular week. But I know all of this relates And I know there's things going on in your heart and your mind and your family and your circle of influence that need to be given over to the Lord. We need right perspective on this, friends. We need gospel perspective on this. If there are areas today of your heart and life, of your activity in recent days or conversations that you need to just repent from, I just encourage you today in these moments ahead, Robbie's coming and we're gonna have just a time of prayer. It's gonna start with a time of prayer, just personal. And then we're gonna move into a time of prayer corporately. But I just ask if there are things going on in your heart and you would just surrender them over to the Lord. And you would repent from things that need to be repented from. If you've had faulty way of thinking that you would just confess that. Let Jesus ask you this question. Let this question reach the center of your soul and heart. And hear his answer to you. I pray most of all that you would just come close to Jesus, that you would fix your eyes upon him. That you would, you would confess that you are as broken and messed up as any other person that's experienced calamity, hardship, trouble. We are broken people. The Christian message is that We have a wonderful God. It's not that we're wonderful people. It's that we have a wonderful God who loves us and gave himself for us. That makes us wonderful people. But apart from what God has poured out in his son Jesus, so we're not wonderful. Just go to God and just say, oh Lord, broken I'm a sinner I'm no 
better. Other people are no worse. We're all before you, God, just needing you, needing your, your help, needing your hope, needing heart change that we cannot do for ourselves, but God, you can do it. In the midst of our brokenness and suffering, we thank you, Jesus, that we look to you on the cross. We look to the perfect God who didn't deserve any suffering or sorrow because he had no sin. And we know that you're there for us. You're there for grace. By grace we have been saved, nothing of ourselves, lest we should boast, but as a gift of God, you are there, Jesus. Pour out your gift, mercy, love, forgiveness, faithfulness, promise of a hope and a future. And Jesus, you live today. That the work of restoration might begin and the promise of a future with no sin, pain, brokenness, sorrow can be guaranteed. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Spend some time with God. first today, just you would heal our hearts. You take the bigger problem and you focus it on our person. And you ask us where our heart is. Lord, if there's any person here who needs your healing in greater ways, and I believe we all do, whether it's the very first step of repentance and faith in you, or the 1500th, We need your healing in our hearts. Humble us. Amaze us by your grace. Allow us to be people who see ourselves, others, the world around us through the lens that you've given to us your gospel mercy for the undeserving you need for repentance hope for the future thank you Lord Jesus I just ask now that you would turn to a couple of people around you this might be new for some of you and it's okay I'm still going to ask that you do it you don't have to pray out loud I just ask that you would turn and you would hold hands with two or three people around you 
And I ask today that you would pray for God to heal our communities, our country, even our world. That God would bring hope to the hopeless. He would bring healing to the broken. That he would bring peace. He has brought peace by his blood. That there would be a realization of peace, real peace between communities that feel far apart. That he would protect, that he would unite, that he would raise up godly leaders to speak to our country in a time like this. That he would allow us to be instruments of his peace. That he would allow us, if there's anyone in our immediate downtown community who would speak rightly about the things, who would be people of mercy and not judgment, who would be open arms of grace and love, working toward reconciliation. If there's anybody, that it would be us. Would you pray? Just get some people around you. Hold hands. Pray. You can pray silently. If somebody would pray out loud, it would be great. Let's pray. God's called us to do this for our lands and for our leaders.